Uh, let's open our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. Last time we looked at like one of the most important teachings in the, in the whole book, that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. There's only one way to the Father, and that's, that's something we all need to know and just burn in our hearts, that Jesus, and Jim was talking about Jesus, that he's the one that will get us there. He's the one that's going to get us to the Father. There's not many gods. There's not many ways. Again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And then Peter, preaching in Acts chapter 4, he said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. you got some questions about that. You can look at our last uh, subject. We went into uh, a lot more detail about that. But Jesus is the only one that's able to mediate to get us there. Now, this is a very clear, very clear truth from God's word. You know, there are people who don't like it, the people argue against it, and, and you hear all kinds of different things, but it's very, very clear from God's Word. Now, the reason I say that is the next section we're going to look at today has some things that are not so clear, and some things that are very controversial for some people. So I, I, I have underneath this shirt, it's a new shirt, by the way. Nice uh, thank you. Nicola got it for me at Sabres. Uh, big sale. Uh, I have underneath the shirt a bulletproof vest. So in case anybody does not like anything I have to say, or that the Bible has to say, please take your best shot. No, really, it should be don't shoot the messenger, Right? That's really what it should be. Let me read to you a quote from uh, Holman Bible uh, Commentary, Holman New Testament Commentary on this passage we're looking at today. He says, The following verses are difficult for most people, especially considering, considering our culture's changing attitudes about men and women. Many Christians differ about the application of this passage today. Some believe the instructions remain frozen in the first century, applicable and attended for that time only. Others sense a more universal theme. In attempting to draw meaning from these verses, it's wide to, it is wise to proceed with care. <laughs> we need to balance Paul's instructions... That's an allergy giver thing. Mm -hmm. We need to balance Paul's instructions with, here with other passages of Scripture where Paul and others esteemed the value of women in ministry, regarding them as equal partakers in the grace of God. It's a great introduction, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Subject, men and women in the church. Where are we here? Let's, let's, let's give the picture. There we go. Is that a good one or what? <laughs> Love that. Men and women in the church. 
Actually, I like it sounds better. Men and women in church. The first thing that I want to say, though, before we even look at these verses here, is that the overall guiding principle, the solid truth that we know is for sure and clear, is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14. In verse 40, he said, Let all things be done decently and in order. Right? That's what he said. And he was talking about how the church, what would happen in church. Let all things be done decently and in order. And that's a guiding principle, and that's something we know, okay? Like I said, there's some things that are not as clear as other things, but that's, that's again, one of those very clear, crystal clear truths. Let's look at uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 8. He, st- he starts with the men. The next section will be with the women. But first in verse 8, he says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. So he starts with the men, and, and really kind of what I, what I, in looking at this passage, what I see that, that he's saying to the men is men need to step up. Men need to step up in church, in the faith. He says he wants men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer, to take the lead in prayer. There's a great need, I think, for men to step up, to be men of God, to pray, not only to pray, though, to lead, to teach, and to sing. Notice in the picture there, she's kind of singing, and he's just kind of like, what is he doing? Nice try. Men can't be afraid to do and to speak up and to sing and to pray in public and to, to speak out. So I think that the first, he, he hits this first, that men need to step up and, and be what God has called them to be. That doesn't, it's not always an easy thing to do, but I think that's what God would have us to do as men. Now, it's not that women didn't pray, but 1 Corinthians chapter 11 said that women prayed as well in the church. Okay, It's not that women wouldn't pray, and we're going to talk a little more about that in a minute. But, but the men needed to step up, needed to get involved. He said, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. This idea of lifting up holy hands and, and that, that there's a holiness, there's a, a life that's consistent with what's being said. It was customary at the time for uh, them, uh, the Jewish faith, and, and even in, in false religions, to stand and to pray with their hands up and their palms up towards heaven. But he didn't just say pray with your hands up. He said pray with holy hands. That, that your life is affected by that too. Now that wasn't the only posture that, that uh, they prayed in and and that doesn't mean we all have to do the same thing, and, and that's where we get legalistic about things like this. But there's all kinds of other postures you can use to pray, right? Quite a few people talked about this, that prayer, you know, we've kind of made it uh, one thing where you close your eyes, bow your head, and fold your hands. But you can't even, like, find that exact thing in the Bible. They have all kinds of other things. Pray standing, kneeling, sitting, Bowing your head, lifting your eyes, falling on the ground. That's one of my favorites. Face down to pray. I think we do it, I think we do it 
the way we do it so that we don't get distracted by everything around us, right? And we teach kids to pray because they're already distracted and we're going to try to teach them how to pray and we, you know, close your eyes so that you're not distracted by the guy next to you, the kid next to you. But someone said this, the important thing is not the posture of the body, but the posture of the heart. It's really what is inside of us that matters. And where is it coming from? Men. I want men everywhere to pray, to lift up holy hands in prayer. He says, without anger, without disputing. Is it perhaps true that men have a problem with anger? Is it perhaps true that men have a problem with with arguing, being contentious? And that it can even seep into our prayers? Is that possible? Is that true? Have you ever heard someone pray an angry prayer? It goes like this. No. <laughs> you can imagine, though, someone you know that he says prayer without, without anger, without disputing. Being an example, like what, what is going on in the prayer and the life of this person? This man, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. It's a challenge. You know, the easiest, the easiest thing about us, for us guys here, is that he, he, he uses one verse here, and then there's like a whole bunch of verses for the gals, right? You can say, well, yeah, they deserve it, or whatever. I mean, this is where you start getting attitudes, right? But the problem is, is that we should get it down better because we only have one verse to, to memorize and follow. So we should actually get it down. We should get with it, get the program going. Now, for the women. Let's look at verse 9. He says, I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. He, he's talking to the men about, hey, you need, to get, you need to get spiritual. You need to get with it, get with the program. And then he talks with the women too. You need to understand it's not about external things. It's not about how we dress. And, and in that society, just in, as in ours as well, we're, we're kind of concerned. You know, we, we, we see all the ads and everything about how we should be dressing. And, and, and nowhere does he say, you know, you have to dress like a, a pauper. Or nowhere does he say, you know, have to just, you know, wear sackcloth all the time and, and look ugly or anything like that. The point, again, is, is, the, is not so much the, the outward, but is where the heart is at. The posture of the heart. He says, I, want, I also want women to dress modestly. And, and, you know, in our society, modesty is kind of outdated. But as we're looking at passages like this and thinking about these things and trying to find out what God is saying, this is where the the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Does that that still apply for us today? Does that part still apply? Or was that, as I quoted there, was that something that was frozen in time? Back for the first century and the stuff that was happening just in that church alone, back there in Ephesus where Timothy was pastoring. See the, you see the challenge here? 
And it'll get even worse as we go on here and, and, and harder to figure out. But, but I think modesty is something that, it, that, that does apply still. I think we need to think about that sometimes. Just because, you know, the whole world is, is, you know, modesty has been thrown out the window and you pretty much anything goes for men and women. Is that how we're supposed to live? You know, you could get legalistic too. And again, with, with all these things, as I'm going to say in a minute, legalism, you could go to a certain way and then you start dictating what that, equal, what that equals. Well, that means that you can only wear X, X, and X. Or, you know, Y, Y, and Y. And you go, why? But again, it's not the clothing. It's, it's the character. He says, he says, uh, I, I want women to dress modestly, but, but not with all these things that you can spend a lot of money and show people how much money you have. He says, but in verse 10, but, but with good deeds. Appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So he says good deeds. And again, the idea in, in the next verses, you know, that women were very active. In fact, he says it here, but with good deeds, with action, with getting involved. Doing something. The scriptures are full of godly women in the church. Full. Paul talks about them all the time. You know, Paul kind of gets accused of being a woman hater. Because of what he's writing here. But you know what? Paul talks about the women who served over and over and over again. Read Romans chapter 16. He lists all these women and says they're, 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 they're awesome and incredible. How they're serving and what they're able to accomplish. People like Dorcas and Lydia and Priscilla and Phoebe. The Proverbs 31 woman. You read that chapter and, and Proverbs 31, the, the, the second portion of it deals with the, uh, a woman. And that woman is busy. She doesn't just sit around praying. She is like busy doing things, serving, getting things done, running a business, all kinds of things. She has got it going in all different directions. The Proverbs 31 woman. Again, as he said in this introduction, we got to take the whole picture, right? The whole context of the Bible when we're talking about these things. Proverbs 31, let me, let me read to you the, the uh, closing verses. He says this, many women, <clears throat> excuse me, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. He says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, to develop the inner beauty. Not that we should have to be ugly on the outside. Some of us can't help it. I'm speaking about myself, not you women. You're beautiful. But he says there are good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And, and again, it, it comes out of our lives, the character of a, of a, a worshiping heart. The character of a worshiping heart, that, 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 that if there's a worship that's happening inside your heart, it, it kind of comes out. It comes out in what you do, and, in, and it comes out in modesty as well. But being a worshiper of God, it really should affect our lives, don't you think? Now, 
I think we should turn ahead to 1 Peter chapter 3 and read some more verses about this uh, just so we get, uh, again, some, some uh, other picture of what they're saying. Let's look in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and following, if you will turn with me there. And he's talking about wives and husbands, Peter is. And he says in verse 1, Wives, in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the, and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Does that mean she's never doing anything? No, we've just seen that, that she's, for those who profess to worship God, that she's involved, she's active, she's doing something. But jump down to verse 7. It says, husbands, in the same way, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Paul's talking to uh, Timothy and saying that the men need to pray. They need to step up. They need to do and be active and spiritual. And here, Tim, uh, Peter is saying that if you don't treat your wives right, your prayers will be hindered. You need to do what you're supposed to do. Again, uh, you know, if you only look at one side of a coin, you're only going to get one part of the picture. You need to look at both sides and see how these things work together. Men need to learn how to be considerate. Not macho. That's what they have down at Taco Bell. Machos. Right? Not right? Consider it. Treat them with respect. As heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Men and women. Men and women. Ephesians chapter 5 says to the husbands that they should love their wives as Christ loved the church. You know, we all focus on the part about the, the, the wives being submissive to their husbands, and we're going to look at that a little more in 1 Timothy. But, but, but I, think, I think the greater challenge is to, to actually be like Jesus, to love your wives like Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for it. I think that's a, that's a harder calling, I think. Let's go back to 1 Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 11. It gets interesting. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Say, so, oh, I don't want to hear any of that stuff. But you know, again, there are things that we see in these verses, and do they, did they just get thrown out? Are they, you know, frozen back there in time? Or is there something that we, can get, that we can pull out of this that, yeah, there are some 
changes in, in uh, the culture and the world that we live in, but there are some things that still apply. And I think, I think one of the things that we can see here in, in looking at Ephesians 5 and also 1 Peter, that there's this structure that God has given in the church and in the home so that there will be order. Someone's got to make the, the final call, right? It's not a superiority kind of thing. It, it was never meant to be that. Again, people calling Paul a woman hater, it's not true. Just not true. Paul, in fact, is the one who makes it so very clear that men and women are absolutely equal. Galatians 3.28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all on equal level. But there's different functions that take place, you see. And so he's, he's saying in the church and in the home, there's a structure that, 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 that God has set up. But let me just quote Warren Wiersbe about this. He says that Christianity, like no other religious faith, elevated the position of women and children. Christianity elevated the position. Before that, women were treated horribly. And in many religions around the world today, have a look. Women are treated horribly. Absolutely horribly. So that's not what, what God is saying. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not what the Word of God is saying. This structure. Now, if you, if you don't like that structure, perhaps what I want to say to you is you need to take it up with Him. Okay? I didn't make it up. Okay? I'm just, I'm just the messenger. I'm just trying to to faithfully understand, faithfully teach what it says here as clear as possible. But there are some things that you're going to have to go directly to God yourself anyways. And and again, I'm not a mediator anyways. As I said last week, there's only one mediator. It's Jesus between us and the Father. So you need to go directly to him and say, listen, I don't understand this, or I want to understand this, and and why, why did you do it that way? Why does this say this? Look at verse 12. It's getting better. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. <sighs> what does that mean? It means women can't, you know, you've got to be completely silent in church. Don't ever say a word in church. Now, what it means... Well, I don't know what it means. <laughs> what it means is that the women are not to teach or have authority over men in the church. Again, it's the structure that he set up. In, in actual fact, though, this word um, silent in this verse and the, and the word, verse before is the same verse. If you look back to chapter 2, verse 2, he says to pray. And then he says to pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. It's the same idea that he's talking out there that, that there needs to be this peacefulness. This peacefulness. Peaceableness, the King James uses the word. The, the Strong's uh, Dictionary defines that word silent as stillness or desistance from bustle or language. Now, this guy wrote that like a long time ago, right? Strong. 
Let me read that again. You ladies think about this. You men don't think about this. No. Stillness, i.e. desistance from bustle or language. I don't know what kind of a picture that gives you in your mind, but, but maybe women just kind of chill out a little bit. So that the men can kind of step up and do what they're supposed to do. Maybe there's not an opening there. Now thinking about these things too. Uh, again, I, I mentioned this earlier. That we can go to extremes, can't we? We can go to extremes. And we usually do, right? We, we get dramatic and we get... You know, we go to one side or the other, and then we're, you know, firing vo uh, salvos at each other. Is that the right word? So one extreme is this, that it just does not apply to today at all, right? Well, that verse, and there are some verses in the Bible that just do not apply to today. It's just a reality. It was specifically for a time, Okay. That's one extreme, and you can say that about a lot of things, and people, you know, you can do that. But then the other side, again, is, is to take it so legalistically, and then that leads to, like, improper treatment of women and improper treatment of, of people. And there, there is no doubt that there were things happening back then that needed to be dealt with. But I think there's still some structure that remains. Some people say, well, you know, what was going on back there is, is uh, and we saw this in India too, that the men would sit on this side, right? And the women would sit on this side with the children. And the, the, and the women, and, and you've perhaps heard this discussion before, that the women would be yelling over to their husbands, well, what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> and possibly that, is true is that what was going on there but but that's not the only truth right some of this stuff we don't really struggle with here in this body where we are pretty much perfect here <laughs> we got it down right somehow and then tomorrow comes my personal opinion and feeling is this I think that we're still growing and we're still learning and understanding but I'm, I'm also hesitant, I'm very hesitant to throw things out only based on what the culture says. Right? Be very careful about that. We have to be careful and proceed with caution because if the culture just says, well, no, it's okay to do this and this and this and this. It's okay to have gay marriage. It's okay to do all these different things. The culture is saying it's okay. The culture says it's okay to kill babies. Does that make it right? Does that make it true and good? Even the Supreme Court says it's okay to do this. Be very careful. Not let the culture dictate what God is trying to say to his people and where we take stands. I want to point this out too for... Uh, uh, for you, that David Guzik, uh, uh, Bible teacher and pastor, says this. He's, he says there's no general submission, in other words, in areas of things like politics and business and education. He's, he says that what, 
what we're looking at here is in the spheres of the home and in the church. And he also says this, that this also does not mean that every woman in the church is under the authority of every man in the church. That is like an extreme legalistic kind of view too. And perhaps you've, you've heard it or you've felt it. Well, that's not, that's not biblical. That's not true. Even in the middle of this uh, discussion, and I know we're not discussing, but because you're not answering me back, but um, you would if you could, right? Especially women would be speaking up right now. No, remain silent, please. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, my goodness. But even in the middle of this idea is that I think, I think that it infers that the men need to step up. It infers that the men need to teach, that they need to speak up. They need to take responsibility. I really do. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Well, Paul looks back to the creation and the fall and the fact that the woman was deceived. But, but, but even in that, the truth of the matter is that the man flat out disobeyed. The woman has, had an excuse. She was deceived. But the man had, was not deceived. He just, he just went ahead and did what he wasn't supposed to do. He was the one who was given the command, you shall not eat of that tree. In my opinion, both have problems, men and women. Both have problems. Both have issues. Both have struggles. And, but, but if I point to you as a woman or a group of you as women and say, well, you should be doing this and this and this, but I'm not taking care of myself, that's not good. My first responsibility is for me to do what's right. And not for, not for me to worry about you and what you need to be doing or not doing. Finally, an even more difficult verse. Verse 15. David Guzik, again, he says, most people, or he said, many people regard this as one of the most difficult passages in the whole Bible. Whoa. Really? Well, if you read it, look at it, verse 15. He said, but women... will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Whoa. Women will be saved through childbearing. What in the world does that mean? You're not going to get saved unless you have kids? What? Three, three possible meanings from the NIV study Bible. Listen up. The godly woman, number one, finding fulfillment in her role as wife and mother in the home. These are three possible meanings that, that, that are held by different people. Number two refers to women being kept physically safe in childbirth. Well, there's, yeah, that's a pretty scary thing, you know, having a baby. 
But number three as well refers to women being saved spiritually through the most significant birth of all, that is Jesus, because the, the original language says that this, but women will be saved through the childbearing or in the childbirth, singular. That's kind of interesting too, isn't it? My question is this, is it, is it possible that all three have merit? I think so. I think especially number three. But, but I think God is, is working in, in all three of those areas as well. Again, we're not completely sure. And I think, again, we're still learning. We're still trying to understand. But, but he says something that is clear there. He says, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with propriety, that is something very clear that we should be continuing in our faith and in love. And in holiness. That's clear. Not an easy passage of scripture, and I wasn't looking forward really to coming here today and talking about these things. And I, you know, probably shouldn't have worried about it at all because you people are so gracious to me, and then you won't be here next week. So, so let's just sum up with some of the things that are very, very clear. And, and, and for me, number one is men need to step up to pray and to teach, to take responsibility. That's what we need to do as men. We need to be spiritual leaders. We need to be men of God. For so long, the church has been kind of you know, bereft of men that would step up and be what God called them to be. And, and you'd see a, a church full of women, but not many men. Women, I think it's clear some of the things we see in this passage here that, that modesty is important, that character is important, inner beauty, good deeds, working, submission, yes, but faith and love and holiness, all these things. But for men and women, I think, the verse I began with, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Let all things be done decently and in order. That's important. God help us all. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and, and we thank you that uh, you want to speak to us as human beings, as men and women. And perhaps each one of us have areas that we have been challenged by or maybe even offended by, but, but Lord, you, you are the one that, uh, that gave us this book. You are the one that gave us your word, and, and so we come to you, and we bring those questions and maybe those challenges to you and say, God, help us. God, help us. Work in us. May we be the men and the women of God that you've called us to be, Lord. In this world, this world that is getting progressively darker. Father, keep us from just, uh, from, from just becoming like the world. And doing everything that the world does, just because that's the, what the culture is doing nowadays. God, show us where the, where the morals are, where the standards are that come from you. Father, I also pray this morning for any who maybe 
you have never given your life to Jesus Christ. And this, some of this is like, that makes no sense to you at all because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Well, Jesus is the one way, the only way, the true way. He's the gate. He's the door. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And if that's you today, you, you need to give your life to Jesus. Don't wait another minute. Don't wait another day, but give your life to him today, even now. Even as we pray right now, you can simply say, Jesus, I, I come, I open my heart and my life to you today. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I need saving. I need, I need the cross in my life. So save me. I come to you today. Help me live. Give me your life. In Jesus' name. Amen.